This morning, if you have a Bible, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 23. Very interesting passage. Father, we're so thankful that we have your word. Above all, that you sent your beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have salvation and life and life everlasting. I pray, O Lord, even right now, that you would, by your Spirit, have mercy on us and help us to see the realities of this world. Help us to understand the spiritual battle. Help us to understand the victory, the glory, the power that is in Jesus Christ and what he's come to do. And help us, O Lord, to engage Grant us this grace, Father, that we would receive from you now and be richly blessed and forever changed and leave here living out and walking in a world that we understand how it is your kingdom is going to be established in it. For we ask this in Christ. Amen. Well, this world we live in, is an interesting place, isn't it? Would you agree that we live in an interesting place, an interesting world? It's filled, on the one hand, with so much goodness and light, and on the other hand, it's filled with so much evil and darkness. There's love, laughter, blessing, serving, sacrificing, giving, rejoicing, dancing, and enjoying on the one hand, and yet there's hate, weeping, cursing, lusting, killing, stealing, murdering, mourning, and pain on the other. And I guarantee you, every single person here has actually experienced darkness right here, right in their own hearts. Darkness right here in your own minds. You've experienced You've encountered a world that can, on the one hand, lift you up, and on the other hand, knock you down. I'm sure if you've lived, you've been beat up a little bit. Just this last week, just this week, a couple days ago, a friend of mine said, great line, life is a full contact sport. Get ready, folks, because... It truly is full contact. And we have to be aware, we have to understand the world we live in, and and I pray that God would give us eyes to see this morning, that we truly could see and understand, because it's so hard. I mean, unless the Lord opens our eyes, we just, we can't see it. And you realize this morning that the reason why you experience goodness and joy and life and light and peace is because of something someone did. Because of something your king did. Jesus. Some 2,000 plus years ago, the world had a cosmic shift. Boom! Something dramatic happened. In our passage before us, we see the light of Jesus expelling the darkness and pushing it back in a real dramatic fashion. Do you realize that in your life, every single one of your problems, every single one of the the, the evils, every single bit of the darkness, 
Every single bit of the things of this world that you hate. Are there things in this world you hate? Are there things in this world that drive you crazy? Are there things in this world that just like, man, this is so frustrating. Why does it have to be this way? Why couldn't it be this way? I guarantee you, you'll find frustration, not just in your own personal life. You'll find frustration in your marriage. You'll find frustration in your children. You'll find frustration in your work. You'll find frustration in your entertainment. You'll find frustration in your sleep. You'll find frustration in your relaxation. You find frustration all over the place. Why? Because let me tell you, that since the fall and the world and us and everything in it is subject to sin, death, and the devil, it's made a mess of things. A serious mess of things. And here's the deal. Until sin, until death, until the devil is removed, until it's finally dealt with, There's never, ever going to be a world that's just full of peace and joy and goodness and blessing. But I tell you, if you remove sin and you remove death and you remove the devil, if you were to take them right out of this world, do you know what you would have? Heaven on earth. Paradise. That's why when you read this in the scriptures about Jesus casting out demons, healing the sick, Raising the dead and proclaiming liberty and forgiveness to the captives. Do you realize what's going on? When you read the Gospels, do you realize what's happening? You are reading the most astounding thing that has ever happened to planet Earth and to humanity. Something shocking is taking place. Never before has the world known such power such release, such freedom, or such life. The oppressors of humanity and the world were being taken down. Witnessing what Jesus was doing was witnessing the coming salvation of the world. This is just merely the first fruits. Hey, you want to taste? Do you want to see what's going to happen? Taste this. What's it like when people experience freedom? when people experience liberty, when people experience healing, when people experience restoration, when people experience forgiveness, when people experience cleansing, what's that like? What's that taste like? Oh, it's good. It's what the world groans and longs for. And this is why we have to realize in our passage before us that Jesus... What we're going to see here is Jesus manifesting a power over the darkness that's nothing short of miraculous. It says in verse 14, if you look there, chapter 11, verse 14. Now when he was casting out a demon that was mute, when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. When Jesus delivers this mute man from his infirmity. He's taking a person who was under the oppression and rule and governance of the evil one, subject to a horrible life, unable to speak. (laughs) That's an infirmity, an infirmity that's just not good. 
I don't know about you, but I, I, I wouldn't like to never use my voice, completely be trapped by silence, never being able to articulate. Imagine having all the, the thoughts trapped in your head, maybe hearing a conversation. You know, it would be sure nice to say something, and you can't. And this happens. Notice what happens in this passage. What took place is that Jesus merely just told the demon to scram. And the demon scrammed. And the man was set free. He all of a sudden could speak. And then what was the, what was the response of the people? They're like, did we just see what we just saw? They marveled. How could this be? This is unbelievable. Mind-blowing. To see how a mute man becomes mute or is mute. It's even, you know what's even more mind-blowing to me? Is that this struck me as a mute guy is mute because of a demon. Because of my Western mentality and mind and world, you know, I don't think in those categories all the time. And I, right away, I would say, oh, he's mute. Well, why is he mute? Well, it's probably a, maybe a neurological and, a, and a, you know, a muscle function issue in the vocal cords. You know, there's probably all kinds of medical explanations that could be made, right? And, that, and that's what we would say. And it's not that that was wrong. I bet you if you examined him, you would probably find out that there was, that's indeed the case. But we're introduced to a world here that we just, we're, we're on one hand, we're not comfortable with. On the other hand, we just don't get, we don't understand. We think today, don't we? It's always, it seems like, for the most part, so, so much of the pressure, so much of what we hear, so much of what's coming at us is, is like this world, is, it's medical, it's scientific, and all the categories are in these categories. And it's what you're bombarded with. It's how you think of this world. Well, when something's wrong, especially if you were to ask me or ask any of us, they say, hey, this guy's mute. Uh, why is he mute? Do you think he has a demon? It's like, no, are you ridiculous? <laughs> That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. What are you, a mute demon? I mean, that's bizarre. But yeah, that's... That's, in fact, what's going on here because we're actually we're encountering something that our, the Western mind has a hard time with because we, we see the world in such materialistic, such scientific, such medical categories that we have a hard time dealing with the whole spiritual realm of things. And it's hard for us to get our heads around. Yet, we know even our, for ourselves, are we purely, are we just a bunch of cells? Are we just a bunch of flesh? No. If you're to be truly human, yeah, you're, you are, your flesh and your spirit together, that's, that's what you call human. Flesh and spirit dwelling together. Now, if you're to take my spirit away, what do you have? A funeral. It's not so simple. It's not just a simple category of the mere physical. We live in a world that's both physical and spiritual. But here's the thing. We don't get and understand the spiritual really well at all. Just like electricity, I don't know how it works, but I know that it works. The radio, radio waves, I don't know how it works, I just know that it works. The wind, I don't know how it works, but I know that it works. All, you know what's similar about all these things? They're 
invisible except for their manifestation. The only thing that's visible is when they manifest. When they're not manifesting, anybody see a radio wave bouncing around this room right now? No. But we all know what's there. And, and the same with all these, these things that we, we deal with on a day-to-day basis. We've got to come to the realization that there's, in all humility, we don't know everything. <laughs> there's a lot of mystery, and we've got to understand that the, there is the spiritual and the physical, and they dwell together, and there's an interaction that sometimes, you know, I read passages like this, and I'm like, I don't, I don't even know what to do with this. I mean, I, don't, I can't explain it. But I know that there's an interaction that we miss so often because of how we categorize or how we look and view the world. You know, we, we truly have to understand that what Jesus is doing here in this passage, when we have the right categories, when we see what he's doing and we have the right, okay, this should be, we should see and understand when people are afflicted, when they have an infirmity, when there's stuff going on in the physical world, we should also understand that there's, there's a spiritual element to this. And there's so much that could be said about this, and more than I can say at this time, and it's really deep, and actually it got me buried quite a bit, and, and realized this, there is so much to understand about the world and, and the physical realm and the spiritual realm and the interaction between the two. Because we talk, even if we believe that there is the two, we often talk in strict categories, like, either, either it's physical or either it's spiritual. No, it's both and, folks. And there's usually the spiritual element and there's the physical element. Even in, even in ailments, even in muteness, even in diseases, even in sicknesses, folks, there's a spiritual element. Now, I don't know how it works, but I know that it works. And to say that is not some cop-out. To say that is like, this is a lot of what the world we deal with. You explain to me how radio waves work. And they'll, they can't. But we're okay with, with saying that it works. Because that's a world we live in. And, and, and you'd need the wisdom beyond, I think, our brains to, 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 know, to know how this works out. We know that it works. We don't know how it works. But one thing, this is one thing we also know. That Jesus has come to deal with something in a very powerful way. Manifesting power. The way Jesus wants us to understand what, it, what is going on, he says, okay, you don't, need, you don't need to know all the hows, but here's something I do want you to understand what's going on. If you really want to understand what just happened, he says in verse 21 through 23, he explains to the people. I want you to see, if, if you don't get all the other intricacies, understand this. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Jesus is trying to help them understand what's going on. And what does he say? Well, Satan is indeed, he he identifies Satan as a strong man. Really strong man. And as long as that strong man doesn't encounter anybody who's stronger, all his goods are safe. All his stuff is his. And everything he has, there's no one who can touch him. So I can have, you know, a six, eight, 
300-pound solid muscle monster who's guarding his little treasure chest. Well, you can't get his treasure, treasure chest unless you go through him. And if, and if you see somebody take him on and take him down and wipe him out and take his treasures, then somebody is stronger than him. Somebody showed up who's got mojo. Someone showed up who's like, wow, powerful. And Jesus, here's the other thing. This wasn't, it, did it even appear like a contest? Demon be gone. And it was gone. Okay, someone really crazy strong is in our midst. Because the one who bound him and the one who was strong was just flung out like with a little flick of the finger. Wow. And he's saying, observe, notice the manifestation of the power of the kingdom. Do you see it? Do you see what just happened? The demons depart. It's kind of, could you imagine? Imagine for a moment, the Incredible Hulk is before you. And you said to the Incredible Hulk, have a seat. And he goes to the back of the room and hits the wall and he's sitting on the ground. Now, if you witness that, that would be impressive. Impressive power. And Jesus says, I, did you just see what happened? I mean, if you read the Gospels, it's like he's, it's all understated. All over the place. Jesus speaks and these, these things are like beyond sci-fi. It's, it is in an otherworldly. He is manifesting this power. And he says, I want you, he asked them to observe what just happened. And when the strong man is just whooped, someone stronger's in town. And he wants them to see and understand this. Jesus sets people free. And you know what? He still does it today. He sets people free. He delivers people. Let's look at it. There's a lady named Sharon. Sharon was a licensed professional counselor who was living a rather normal life. She was married with one child and lived comfortably in the suburban foothills of Denver. But she sensed a spiritual void in her life. Unfortunately, she got drawn into the New Age movement and for the next seven years was trained to be a channel for spirits. She became a medium a spirit guide. And it eventually led to divorce, and her own lifestyle began to deteriorate. She finally came to the conclusion that she had lost her mind. She didn't want to be a channel for those voices in her head any longer, but when she wouldn't play ball with those friendly little spirits, they turned against her. She found herself housebound and unable to function. Somehow she knew that the only way to get rid of the voices was to become a Christian. She says, she goes on to say she has no idea why she thought that. At this point in her story, which Sharon tells in her book, Enticed by the Light, it becomes a sad commentary on the church in America, especially when understanding the spiritual world and what is really going on. She couldn't find a church that would help her become a Christian. After hearing her story, 
One pastor suggested that she wouldn't feel very comfortable in his congregation. She finally found a good evangelical pastor who led her to the Lord. But he didn't know how to help her resolve these issues that continued to plague her in her head. She found another church that specialized in spiritual warfare. And they worked with her for about two years. They would call up the spirits and dialogue with them and try to exercise their authority over them. They would seem to stop harassing her for a, for a while, but there was never any complete resolution. One day, Sharon suddenly realized that w- these well-intentioned Christian counselors were just trying to manipulate the spirits, which she was trying to do when she was a medium, although for different purposes. Shortly afterwards, she drove to a conference and learned a completely different approach to dealing with these spiritual issues in her head. She learned about, at this conference, about Jesus, about the power of Jesus, about the rule of Jesus. She, she learned what Jesus came to do to Satan and his demons. And she learned at this conference her identity in Christ, who she was in Christ. She also learned how it is to pray, how it is she should pray. And she learned how to take her thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. When Sharon learned these things, Sharon was set free. The voices were gone. It's because, and, and why was that? Well, the church didn't even understand or know even how to address it because the church, in large part, we are, and I admit this, we are ignorant about the spiritual world and even how to deal with it. It's like we're ignorant of, the, of, of Satan's schemes and what he's doing. We're ignorant of the power and the authority of Christ. We're ignorant of our position in Christ. We're ignorant even of how to pray in so many cases. And so... People trapped, trapped, harassed, afflicted by darkness are so often not helped. And the story was, was really was a sad commentary on what the church doesn't even have the answer. Because the church is, af- is, is just of a f- afraid of that whole spiritual realm, it seems like. The whole realm of darkness as those who are trapped in it. We need to get to this place where we see and understand what's taking place in the Gospels and understand the, 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 the authority, the manifesting power that Jesus is demonstrating. We have to understand his authority and power and rule that at his very word, at his very word, demons flee. You, I, I've read several stories where people who understand the authority and power of Jesus, even his very name, it's not wild, it's not crazy, it's, it's not like outlandish. It's very simple and plain. People who understand Jesus, understand the authority in Jesus, I've read accounts where a counselor would, would someone's manifesting in very violent, wild ways, the demon possession, and commands them in the name of Jesus, I tell you to sit down. And boom, they sit down. Why is that? Why, why is there nothing to be freaked out or afraid of? I'll tell you why. 
Jesus has come and has conquered. Jesus, the power of his name is over every principality, power, and rule, and dominion, and all things that are. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he indeed is Lord. The spirit realm gets it. And you see this throughout, throughout the Gospels. The spirit realm gets it. But we don't, often. You know, one thing that hasn't changed is the response that we see here in the text from unbelief. Jesus is still, to this day, he's accused here in our text, and he's accused today, illogically accused. Illogically accused of being someone he's not by unbelief. If you look at, look at verses 15 through 16, it says, But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking for him a sign from heaven. So here they accuse him, but crazily accuse him. And what we have to understand here is that these people who brought these accusations against Jesus, who said this, these were God's chosen people, Israel. They were the children of Abraham according to the flesh. Yet they had no eyes to see what was happening. They, yet, and here's the other thing. They knew the original promise. They knew promises given to them in the scriptures. They knew the prophet Isaiah. They knew Genesis. They knew Genesis 3.15, which says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Where was that given? Right at the very beginning, after the deception of Satan comes and deceives Adam and Eve and brings them into subjection and bondage. And he says, okay, I'm going to prom- God promises there's going to be a son born of a woman who's going to come and crush your head, and you'll bruise his heel. Israel knew all along that a son was to be born. They waited for a son to be born. They anticipated a son to be born. They longed for a son to be born. And they kept asking every time a son was born, is it he? Is this the one? Is he the one who will come and crush the serpent's head? And you have these, you have these, these little lights that would rise up and it seemed like they were the ones. They were the ones. Is it, is it Moses? Is it Joshua? Is it Gideon? Is it Samson? Is it David? No, and then we find out as the story unfolds, no, it's actually going to be, we know which line it's going to be from. We know it's going to be, actually be, be from the seed of David. We know that he's going to sit on the throne forever. So they, get, they, they know this. And yet they accuse him, and they watch, and they see what's happening, and they accuse him of doing the work of Satan. And how ironic is that? It's completely illogical. Jesus even tries to help them understand. Okay, let's try. He says, let's try logic 101. He says this in verse 17. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. Isn't that, if you think of it on the surface, isn't that plain logic? If a kingdom or a household is filled with conflict, 
and they are set on, and they're destroying each other. If you turn your guns on one another and start shooting one another, how is that kingdom going to fare? Just think about it. Everybody in your house gets a gun. They all point it at one another, and they all pull the trigger. What happens? How's that household going to last? It's, it's destroyed. He says, just think about what's happening. Just think about how this is fleshing itself out. Just on the surface of it, just connect the dots. If I am taking, kicking out the devil, throwing him out, and you're saying, and I am the devil? It's like, do you get how the, the thing works? It's pure logic. It, it just, it's insanity to say that, that, that I would be of the devil, removing the devil. You know, even today, Jesus will set captives free, completely save them from their bondage and unbelief. And yet, if someone is, is, is rejecting, they, 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 they wrongly identify what's going on. And all of us will wrongly identify if we don't have eyes of belief. If there's unbelief in our hearts or we're disbelieving, we, we wrongly categorize what's going on. Because the truth is, the truth could be a per, if, some, if Jesus does something miraculous in someone's life, and that person is a completely different person, and they have completely different desires and passions, do you realize that that is an absolute fundamental miracle? That there's no, there, is no, there is no religion, no program, no psychologist, no self-help book that could ever do that to anybody, ever? You can't change people like this. You can, you can bring reformations, and you could have a person who's like bound in, say, bound to the bottle, they're an alcoholic, and they reform themselves and they get clean, but you, you can't change their hearts. They still have, if there's emptiness, there's issues in their hearts, their desires of their hearts, the passions of their hearts. You can't change that. But if you've seen somebody touched by Jesus, transformed by Jesus, you are going to see somebody who's fundamentally different. They're a different person. They have different desires, different wants. They used to, you know... They used to want to fulfill their passions and trample under, over under other people and they could care less. All they cared about fulfilling their desires and their passions and they, they would do their own thing. And now they never once concern, were concerned about, desired to obey God, to serve God, to live for God. And then when they, they meet Jesus and he transforms them, how is it that person now doesn't want to do that but rather wants to, to follow God, to obey God, to serve God? That, folks, is an absolute miracle. I mean, there's just not, no way else to slice it. That, that is a, that's something that you can't do apart from the work of Jesus. But yet, if we're unbelieving, we just recategorize, we smear it and say, ah, oh, that's just, a, they're a religious freak. They just are on a kick. Whatever, they'll, they'll get over it. And that, that's, that's the problem, is that all of us, if we struggle with unbelief, we wrongly categorize, we wrongly name, and we don't see. We can't see. We can't see what God is doing. Exactly. 
And, it, and that's, we, we're blind to a reality. There's, a dim, there's, again, getting back to how is this world set up? There's dimensions here. There's things we see and there's things we can't see. To see the seen is common. To see the unseen is uncommon. To see what is not, the eyes can't see, but only the spirit can see, is the gift of God. I want us to see one more last thing in this particular passage. And I, and I really think that this is probably perhaps the most profound. It's because Jesus is manifesting our hope, the hope of the kingdom, and the hope of the kingdom that is to come. Jesus is the first fruits. Jesus is the initial. Jesus didn't complete the work, but we're going to see it's the hope. He brings the hope of what the future holds. If you look at verse 20, he says, but if you see, like after this, he tells them that what you're seeing, identifying, the strong man's being brought down. And if if you see, and what you're seeing and identifying here is like Satan being cast out. Pay attention. He says, but if by the finger of God, I love that expression, the the finger of God. It's like, like, if by like the finger of God that I cast out demons, then... Know something. If you see this, know something. The kingdom of God has come upon you. If Jesus is flicking demons, he says, in other words, saying, go, and they go, pay attention. Pay attention. And why should they pay attention? Well, do you notice what's happening? If you're, especially, listen to who he's talking to, who he's addressing, Israel. They know the promises of God. They're the ones longing for this Messiah to come. Aren't they familiar with Isaiah 35? Of course they are. Isaiah 35, 4 through 6, this is one of their, their foundational pieces of, of what the, the, the Messiah is going to come and do. It says this, Behold, your God will come with vengeance and with recompense, the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and listen to this one, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So according to Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, God was going to come and bring his vengeance against the enemies and against salvation. The first part, they, didn't, they, they totally misunderstood even John the Baptist didn't really get it. it uh, he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah or should we look for someone else? And Jesus tells them, go back and tell them the blind receive their sight. He said, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the lame walk, right? He sends them back and he tells them that. And why do you think he told them that? Because John's mind would go, boom, Isaiah 35. The promised Messiah was going to come do this. But notice what he wasn't connecting. He says, the vengeance of God will come. And so what do you think? The vengeance of God will come. Behold, John was bold. He says, behold, his winning fork is at the root of the stalk, right? He says he's, he's about ready to take him out. And a lot of them thought it was going to be political. It was going to be taking out the oppressors of Israel. And who were the Romans? That was natural to think. But it's not that Jesus, Jesus is coming. It's like, really, it's not the Romans you have to worry about. That's not the issue. The issue, the deal you have to deal with is the, is the devil 
sin and death. And until you get rid of these, you are under oppression. And when he comes, who is he coming to take vengeance on? We don't see that. Do you realize in the gospel, Jesus is taking vengeance? On who? He's so kind. He's nice to all these people. The hardest things he says is like the, to the Pharisees. And he, he, yeah, he lets them have it. But I don't see him like really taking, wiping people out. Pay attention. Pay attention. Notice in this passage, in Isaiah 35, the vengeance of the Lord has come. He's going to re- bring recompense. What does he do? How does it come? The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The mute speak. This is what's happening. So when you see, don't you see what's happening? He says, when you see the finger of God and coming, and vengeance is coming against his enemies, against who? The, the devil. And he's, he's scooting them out. Know that the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is here. This is the hope of the kingdom being manifested. But you know what? It was only the beginning. What Jesus was manifesting in this kingdom was the hope of Israel. Jesus came and he broke the back of the enemy. But he didn't completely wipe him out. Sometimes this gets confused. We think that when Jesus was on the cross and he says it's finished, we get to thinking that, okay, it's all done. All that's left is a little mop-up operation, a little cleanup. But it's really not true. Jesus did come, conquer, kick butt, and deliver. But there's tons of work to do. He busted the back of the enemy. Mike and I were talking about this, and he gave me a great example as we were discussing about World War II. In World War II, the enemy's back was broken on D-Day. The Allies took the beaches of Normandy, as as we know, and from that point on, There were many battles that still needed to be fought. But the needed battle for ultimate victory for the war was won. So even though the enemy's back, but the back was broken. They had had captured the beachhead. If the troops had given up at that point, if they've not continued to pursue the enemy, guess what? They would not have won the war. There were still many battles to fight. In fact, because there was such a relief and a sense of victory after they gained the beachhead that many did relax. It had such an overwhelming sense of of that sweet taste of victory. It caused weeks of delay, actually, in the final victory. Just because they relaxed and didn't press forward. Weeks of delay. It could have ended so much sooner. There was actually one particular section of the army that was supposed to surge forward on a particular day, but they stopped for tea. Probably tea and some cigarettes at that point. Everybody smokes cigarettes. And obviously some time to refresh themselves over the sweet taste of victory. But it cost them dearly. It cost them many more lives because of that choice. And many more days of grueling battle because of it. And the same could be said for the church. We often think that because Jesus broke the back of the enemy and said it was finished on the cross... That somehow all we have is this clean, easy cleanup operation. However, nothing could be further from the truth. As Paul said in Ephesians 6.12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers and authorities and the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We are in a battle, folks. And the spiritual forces of wickedness need to be continued to de- be dealt with. 
Jesus broke their back. Jesus equipped us for the battle. Jesus gave us the weapons. Jesus filled us with his spirit. Jesus said, complete the mission. The battle is real. And I tried to emphasize this a few weeks back when I preached on the other section that had to do with this whole demonic issue. The battle is real, man. It's real in your own life right here. It's real in your own home. It's real in your own workplace. It's real in your own world. It's real in this city. I can't help but think of Daniel gets, uh, lets us peer behind the curtains a little bit if you want to see what's going on. And, and, and I believe it was Gabriel who came to Daniel and said, I've been delayed. He was delayed for weeks. What delayed him? He tells us, by the prince of Persia. There's a demon over Persia. There's, there's, there's rulers and authorities and powers, and he's wrestling with them. What was that like? I have no idea. But it delayed him in getting to Jesus. We have to understand, folks, that this is serious business. And at the same time, serious business that is, is ours for victory. Just like in World War II, it's, victory is ours, but we've got to press forward. Do you realize that this area, as Mike alluded to in the, in the call, this whole area, there's a dark cloud. There's tons of oppression. There's tons of darkness. We're dwelling in it. Do you realize that it's, we as the church have got to press forward? The victory is ours, but we can't sit on our thumbs. We can't just sit back and go, you know, tea and cigarettes, anyone? Battle belongs to Jesus, man. So why don't you get off your butt and get going? So what do you do? What, what should we do? Because here's the other thing you have to understand. The weapons of our, our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. They're not, like, they're not swords and spears. They're, they're, not, they're not guns and cannons. They're not atom bombs. We do not do that. The church does not advance like that. The church does not deal with darkness like that. The weapons of our warfare are mighty and divine in the Lord, and they're craziness. It's quackery, goofiness. What? What are they? You know what the weapons are? The weapons of the Lord are one, the name of Jesus. <laughs> Do you realize just his name has power? And knowing, knowing who his name, knowing your position in him, you've got to start there. You've got to understand that the demons run at his name. They quiver at his name. They obey his name. Secondly, you have got to understand that prayer is essential. Jesus, just prior to this, is trying to teach his disciples how to pray. He teaches them, and one of the key tenets of prayer, remember to pray, pray that you be delivered from the evil one. He tells them earlier, remember he talks about prayer, and he says, hey, you know why this demon wouldn't come out? Because the only thing that would bring him out would be prayer. He's trying to help his disciples understand the power of prayer. Pray that you don't fall into temptation. Oh, look, you fell asleep. They still don't get it. That's just like us, right? If you want to understand how hard prayer is, try to do it every day at a particular time. You'll find every excuse in the book why not to do that. It actually feels difficult. Why is this hard? Why can't I keep this pattern? This is strange. It's simple. Oh, Lord, you know, just go through, work your way through the, t- the uh, Lord's Prayer. That's a simple process. Heck, anybody can do it. Anybody, it's child's play, mere child's play. Just carve out 10, 15 minutes in the morning and you pray. Oh, that sounds easy. I'll go try that. Why, why day two or three? It's just like, I got every excuse in the book why I didn't get to it. You know, it's like, oh, busy, got to start early. Um, can't really get, it, get to it today. Um, and then you actually feel it. You feel a sense in here. It's like, it's a little harder than I thought. It's like, it's easy, but it's hard. Why is it so hard? Why, why do I have a hard time praying every day? What's going on here? Hello? 
Do you know where you live? Do you know what's going on? Do you know the world that you dwell in? Do you realize there you do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and dominion and rulers of this wicked age? You are in a fight. You are in a battle, and you must wage warfare. Not just, and I'm telling you what, get back in the Psalms. I wish we could sing the Psalms because when the Psalms in the Old Covenant it talks about the enemies, the enemies, watch how much it talks about the enemies of God and asking God to thwart them. You've got to understand that we have, we, with spiritual eyes, see, we have, there are enemies all around us. We are engaged in battle and we need God to destroy the enemies. We need God to push them back. We need God to defend us and to shield us and to guard us and deliver us and go before us and behind us and be, all, be, our, be our bulwark. We need God to be the battering ram for us. And the Psalms teach you that, but you think, that, well, I don't have... Right now, I don't have a lot of enemies attacking me. What? Because somebody isn't falsely suing you? You, are, you have enemies all around. <laughs> you have got to be pleading for God's grace and mercy and protection. You've got, you, you, you you got to protect your life. You've got to protect your household. You've got to protect your work environment. This area, this region, needs our prayers. And we can push back the powers of darkness. The other thing it needs is the proclamation of the gospel. A simple, stupid thing. It seems like, like, the, like Paul says, the foolishness of the gospel preached. It seems like, just tell people about Jesus? Yeah, just tell them about Jesus and crazy things happen. People are actually, tell them about him and people are set free. People are delivered. People are trained. People are transformed. His kingdom advances. These are simple weapons, but I tell you what, that seems so easy, doesn't it? Three-step plan, nice and easy, simple for you all. Let's just go engage. I tell you what, you are engaged in a battle, fighting for your life. And you've got to understand that the severity of the battle. You've got to understand the, 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 the strength and power of your enemy. But above it all, you have got to understand what is yours in Christ. What he's given you, what you possess. That the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Well, who said that? Jesus. He said, they won't. So just get to fighting. Just get to war, and you'll take them down. I have talked way too long and way over to step my bounds. Sorry, everybody. Please forgive me. I, I, uh, <laughs> I had way too much stuff. and yeah, Sorry. But anyways, it won't happen next week. <laughs> May God grant us all the grace to see, to see the world we live in, the manifestation of the power of Jesus in people's life, and give us the courage to engage in the battle and fight. May he just put it in our hearts that we would, we would know who we are in Christ, we would labor in prayer, and we proclaim the good news of Jesus. And by doing so, watch. Watch darkness move back. But it takes the church believing it. It takes the church doing it. And right now, we're all half asleep going about life and not realizing what's going on around us. May God grant me mercy, you mercy, all of us mercy. This is what we need. Father, I ask you to bless us, have mercy upon us, and grant us your grace. I pray for every single person here, and I ask, O Lord, that you would put in their hearts a burning desire to seek your face and pray to proclaim the good news of Jesus, that you would help us all, help them to know the power and the glory of Jesus and his mighty name. 
that we would understand who we are in Christ, that every person here would realize that we have got work to do, that we are engaged in a battle, but the victory belongs to Jesus. I ask for this, O Lord, that we would truly know this, see this, understand this, and it would impact us, and we truly would engage in the battle for asses in Christ. Amen.